0: Patsy Affairs is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. All right, it is great to be back in the proverbial saddle, the podcast throne, just what's really a spinny chair here in my office coming off of a honeymoon wedding. Everything was a 10. I first want to say thank you to everyone who sent some well wishes to both of us. It sucks to be back in Foxborough coming from Cancun, but it was good to be <laughs> at minicamp. Um, and a special shout out to my best man, Billy Ball, who I know listens to this podcast. And for his best man speech, did an episode of this podcast actually talking about me, which was slightly uncomfortable, but he crushed it. Billy, I know you're listening to this as you drive to work, so thank you. Number two, we are recording here on uh, Wednesday afternoon. The Patriots have canceled their final minicamp practice. They are team building. I don't know if this means. Trust falls. I don't know if it means paintballs, uh, but good for them. Number three. Sometime around, they were on the bus to this activity, or maybe he's at home. Trent Brown tweeted a zipped lips emoji, which reminded me of all the kids I went to school with in middle school, posting song lyrics on their AIM away messages because it's (laughs) mysterious, it's unhelpful. But man, someone's in their feelings and they just got to let you know about it. Number four, DeAndre Hopkins is coming to visit tonight. And that is where we start with Doug Kide of A to Z Sports, longtime Patriots beat writer, about national, Doing a lot of things right now, including making time in this podcast. Doug, thank you for uh, bearing with the intro, having me back. Don't I look tan?
1: Yeah, Andrew, you really do look tan. And congratulations, by the way. I know I've already said that to you in person, but congratulations yeah. on, on getting hitched, on, on the honeymoon, on being tan, all those different things. I'm even a little bit more tan after a few days of uh, OTAs and minicamp. So shout out to me too.
0: Yes, absolutely. Shout it. And I love, you know, we will get to this more in training camp. Uh, But there are a lot of us who I think take real pride in those practice notes, right? Like it's not only just what we hear from players after the fact, and then we write stories using those quotes. But what are you seeing individually that when all of us are looking at the same thing and where those differences? So I love reading your notes, Jeff Howe's notes, Zach Cox's notes, Mark Daniels, everyone on the beat that I've been with now for four or five years. So I'm really happy to have you here to break down just two days of minicamp. I mean, you were at OTAs. I was not. Um, but Belichick called these an extension of OTAs when we talked to him on on Monday morning. And that was really my takeaway on Monday is that you didn't have everyone there. It was not lackadaisical, but it wasn't totally competitive. Tuesday was much more um, competitive and full speed. And we'll get to what we learned from Minicam in addition to a mailbag. But first, as I mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins is coming tonight. So I want to break this down into three parts because the Hopkins discussion started as rumors. Now we have an actual visit, but I think it's important to separate you know, the kind of rumor part or what people want to see and want to hear versus what we actually know. So what do we actually know sitting here 1247 Wednesday afternoon before DeAndre Hopkins lands? I would think it it, at TF Green, probably not Logan. Either way, lands in New England.
1: I mean, we know he's, we know he's coming. (laughs) We know that he just (laughs) took a visit with the Tennessee Titans. Um, And we know, I think maybe the most important thing is that like DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't be coming here if, if there was a possibility that he was going to sign a three year, $60 million contract, you know, like, like Bill Belichick loves a value. And back when they attended Odell Beckham jr's personal workout back in March or April or whatever that was reached out to someone was like, is this going to happen? Like, like are the Patriots going to be interested or whatever? And it was like, probably not because Belichick likes a value. And this just seems unlikely. And that was kind of the the initial word on Hopkins as well. That like, I don't know, this feels like a long shot. I think that people expected the Bills and the Chiefs and some of these other, you know, higher caliber teams to maybe be a little bit more interested off the bat. But this is only a second visit to Titans, now the Patriots. And to me, I mean, if the Patriots sign Hopkins, it's gonna be at a value deal. It's gonna be at a good deal. And I think that that's obviously ultimately a positive.
0: So the OBJ mention is a great place to start, right? Because not only is he a player who I think had a market that initially underwhelmed him in his expectations, right. but he probably got the best deal any of us imagine, aside yeah. from maybe his camp. One year, right. $15 million from the Ravens, fully guaranteed. This is a guy who with did incentives not play football too. last yeah. year. Yes, with incentives yeah. that could take it up to $18 million. Did not play football last year, has not scared defensive coordinators since maybe 2017, 2018. Yep. And if you're DeAndre Hopkins, you were scheduled to make $19 million. No one wanted to take that on and give up some form of draft capital or some sort of player to mm-hmm. trade with the Cardinals. That's why you got released. But you're looking at that and going, OK, yeah, I missed six games because I got suspended last year. Mm-hmm. But after that, I led the league in catches. I was fourth in receiving yards and carried an offense that everyone knew where the ball was going to go. Everyone knew I was going to be isolated as the ex-receiver with nothing around me, and I still produced, I should get more than that. And yet, as you very astutely mentioned, that's not going to happen here in New England. Maybe in the neighborhood of one year to $15 million, as we kind of transition here from what we know Mm -hmm. to what we expect, because I'd expect the Patriots to have several coaches involved with this visit. I would Mm -hmm. expect, as, as you just mentioned, I think Ian Rappaport had done too, that you know, he's not coming unless they've discussed terms, whether they're in right. a, a wide range or a narrow one, because Hopkins market obviously has shrunk a little bit. Like, I don't think he came from Tennessee with an offer. Mind you, why would anyone want to go to Tennessee now if not just to gorge on fried chicken because or hot chicken, I should say, because that team is going to stink. It yeah. doesn't have a very good quarterback, probably not an elite defense, strong management. Sure. And those were the boxes that DeAndre Hopkins uh, last mentioned of things that he wants. What are his next visits? No one really knows. Beyond that, what do you expect from the Patriots to do either as a pitch or maybe in a range of figures with the contract offer to happen here in the next 24 or so hours?
1: Well, I think it's pretty easy to add incentives to DeAndre Hopkins' deal, and maybe that's something that's been a little bit under-discussed, but just the fact that he did only play, what was it, nine games last season, 700-something yards, like his numbers were way down last year because he missed time with the PED suspension and with the injury, so it's very easy to bake in not likely to be earned incentives that will, that would allow the Patriots to sign him to like a, a pretty low base deal. I think Albert Breer, uh, you were on uh, with him on NBC sports boss. I think uh, Albert Breer mentioned like somewhere in eight to $10 million range for, for Deandre Hopkins on a base deal, but then you can bake in incentives. And I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Well, the Patriots have about $14 million in cap space right now. I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, included incentives that could like double the deal. That's what they did with Mike Kosicki. So I don't know if it's like an eight million dollar deal or nine million dollar deal that could be worth sixteen or eighteen million. Wouldn't necessarily shock me, uh, just because that would allow them to sign him within the salary cap, not commit to too much, base it on his performance. But I do think that one of the most important things here is that. I think he has to make more money than Juju Smith-Schuster on a per-year deal because for years and years and years, the Patriots wouldn't sign a wide receiver that was making more than Julian Edelman. And Julian Edelman always signed these like team-friendly deals that were really low. And that kind of hamstrung them to a certain extent. I guess even with Brandon Cooks, I guess that was kind of a different situation because you could argue that Brandon Cooks was a better receiver at that point than Julian Edelman. But I think that when DeAndre Hopkins comes in here, He's going to be the best wide receiver on the Patriots and you don't want to be paying him less than Juju Smith Schuster. So I do think that somewhere in that eight and a half to $9 million range is probably the floor for Deandre Hopkins coming in on a base deal. Then, like I said, you could bake in those incentives. Uh, but I don't know. I think that that's probably the appeal playing for Bill Belichick, getting a deal that could be worth a lot of money um, and having a lot of opportunities because this is an offense that certainly needs a player like Deandre Hopkins, I think this is kind of an aside, but the Ravens are probably gonna look like idiots after yes. this DeAndre Hopkins deal. Because, <laughs> I'm really glad like, you said that. Yeah. In in no way whatsoever would you rather have Odell Beckham Jr. than DeAndre Hopkins, right? Like they're they're I think four months apart in age, which seems kind of hard to believe. Uh Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't played a full season since 2019. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't since 2020. Like Odell Beckham Jr. did not play last year. DeAndre Hopkins looked pretty good when he was out there. In no world should Odell Beckham Jr. be making more money than DeAndre Hopkins, and I think that that's the way that this is all going to shake out.
0: Going back to OBJ really quickly, as I I checked in that as well and didn't even bother, I might have discussed it in a previous podcast, but the response I got was, you're asking me if we have interest in the guy with two torn ACLs who's going to turn 31 this year. Right. (laughs) I said, yes, no response. So we're on the same page as far as your level of interest there. The other part about this, though, is, and I mentioned when this first came up that I didn't expect the Patriots to have much interest, not only just because of the dollar figures, um, you know, and, and the cap hit and giving up an asset on top of that. And things have worked out for them. The market has waned, you know, even the Chiefs and Bills who had interest have fallen out, given money elsewhere. The discussion and interest from the Patriots' perspective, I think, has really picked up in recent weeks because, mm-hmm. again, in, in March and yeah. April, for all the reasons I just mentioned, they were out. They said, you'll come to us if this really needs to happen. And the whole league was doing that with the Cardinals yeah. as well. And the old t- only team that I heard DeAndre Hopkins was willing to take a pay cut for was the Cowboys. And we know, of course, went out and got Brandon Cooks because they didn't see Hopkins as good value. Now, the cap and the cash, I think, is secondary because you mentioned they have about $14-15 in space. The Patriots continue to rank among the lowest spending teams in the entire league. They can fit this under the cap, yeah. spend more cash if they want to. Robert Kraft has at least said to the media cash is not an issue i'll give bill whatever he wants all right football season still a couple of months away but baseball season is in full swing and there's no better place to get in on the action than fanduel america's number one sports book because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars that's one comma zero 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 one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win you win if you lose just go to fanduel.com boston to join today This could be if you're a Red Sox fan. If you're not, if the Sox are losing, bet on them to come back as the game is going on. Or if you like Rafael Devers or Adam Duvall to hit a home run, you can bet on that at FanDuel. Just don't miss out on the chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks are used with permission. Must be 21 or older in present Massachusetts to bet. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit is required. Refund is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions to apply. Please see terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSense ma.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The money does matter though in the sense that it means influence this is right. a guy and where i think some of those incentives might come into not just hey we'll give you an extra grant grant <laughs> it's chump it's change we'll give you an extra million if you get to a thousand yards we'll give you an extra two million if you get to 1200 yards how many times do you practice because this is something that i'll be honest right. i didn't know as much about until recently in reading pieces from albert breer mm-hmm. in 2020 after houston and bill o'brien traded hopkins to arizona you know all of course all the stuff starts to come out this is why we do it the leak is laughing at us this is why it was a good deal practice was a big sticking point mm-hmm. you go ahead the next couple of years to the cardinals he's getting veteran rest days left and right free yeah. candy basically to them and i remember even before the patriots came on monday night going is something wrong with him I was <laughs> right. like, no, no he's, he's just he's just hanging out cliff kingsbury is very hands-off so no. That will be interesting to me. It's not only just about the money. How much is guaranteed versus tied to incentives? Is there a way to get creative? Because we know this front office will get as creative as they need to be, maybe as creative as any other team in the league to make this deal possible. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think there's hope here. I'm not here to put a percentage because then we'll get to what do we guess happens here in a second. But the last thing I'll say is this. I think the Patriots would love to do a one-year deal incentive later to make it happen where they could maybe meet in the middle with Hopkins to say, you can go out and tell the world, okay, I still got made whole here instead of the $19 million. I'm averaging about 18. They get a two-year contract that's backloaded. And so Mm -hmm. in the front part, the first year, you get 10 to 12 mostly guaranteed. But in the back end, that gets closer to 20. And the Patriots could kind of have an out there. And there is precedent for this, something I mentioned on TV the other night, when they bought low, on Darrell Revis coming from yeah. Tampa after an ACL tear and said, we'll still technically make you the highest paid mm-hmm. corner in the league, which I don't think Hopkins wants to be as a receiver. Right. But we are going to get out of the Darrell Revis business after one year and you will get that money elsewhere. And that is where I think there might be a sweet spot here, depending, of course, how do the conversations about practice go, which is mm-hmm. absolutely going to come up. And then what is the middle ground they can strike on incentives yeah. versus program roster bonuses and guarantees?
1: Yeah, because with... Revis, I think it it was like a, actually a one year 14 million dollar deal, something like that. I don't know what the what the terms were over two years, but yeah, it was basically like this is a two-year contract, it's a very high amount, but it's you get out of it after the first year. So yeah, that's actually a good idea. I was I was thinking about tacking on like void years or mm. or you know, doing uh something that was backloaded on a multi-year deal, but that's an interesting idea where it's like, yeah, it's gonna be announced as like a two-year $45 million deal or something like that, (laughs) when in actuality, it's like a one-year $8 million deal with a bunch of incentives. One other thing I just want to toss out there, because we talked about Juju, do you think that, I guess that that would fix it if they were to announce it that way, or if that's the way that it's reported and that's the way that it's structured, but does Hunter Henry's deal play into this at all, where his APY is, I think, $12.5 million? Like, Do you want DeAndre Hopkins making more than Hunter Henry on a per year basis or since they play different positions does it not matter? I kind of go both ways with it. I know that's not like the most interesting way to handle it, but I don't know, it it does feel a little weird if DeAndre Hopkins catches like makes like I don't know, he's like a 1200 yard receiver this season. And it winds up being like a one year eight million dollar deal with incentives or one year nine million dollar deal with incentives if Hunter Henry's making more money than him. I don't know. Does that play into it at all? These yeah, I,
0: I think it's a good point because it gets back to something I mentioned and forgot to expound upon. But let's let's start here. Dehonnor Hopkins is a much better player than Hunter Henry. Okay. Right. And Hunter right. Henry had a very, you know, down year statistically last year, and I think got the shortest end. Of all the very short sticks that the players were handed under Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, where they're asking him to stay in pass protect, you know, and he only goes off against Minnesota and just has the worst year of his career, save for his rookie season. But that is a guy that despite all of those statistical lows and bad moments and not getting the ball enough, that went to the podium and talked to the media week after week after week and was bought in. Okay, you didn't see a drop off in effort from him. Yeah. And if DeAndre Hopkins gets more money, because every single person in that locker room is going to know how much money he makes, just like they know Matt Judon is the highest paid defender in Patriots franchise history. And people follow him along, not only because he's a three-time Pro Bowler Mm -hmm. and the guy's a ton of fun, but people want to get paid too. So maybe I should work and act like Matt Judon if Daniel hopkins makes more money than hunter henry he'll have a little bit more influence not only because of his reputation but that salary right. and if it comes around to week 11 and this is what the patriots are now processing and playing out and gaming right. out internally and we need him to practice and he's right. on the fence and he says no what does that do for anyone else as the stakes get higher and we yeah. go deeper into the season for anyone else who finds themselves in a similar situation whether it's kendrick bourne or Devontae parker or Mike Gasicki, because Hopkins will have sway and influence in that locker room that is directly correlated with this contract. And that's where the money matters more so than I think cap or cash. But I I to directly answer your question, yeah, I think you you have to make him higher than Hunter henry, but that's that's the risk the Patriots are weighing and assessing because it's very, very real and it's easy to talk in June of I'm committed, I'll practice, blah blah blah. Right. These are hard practices in New England. This is going to be a little bit of a shock, even for a guy who played under Bill O'Brien. For most of his career
1: yeah i also think that i mean maybe with tom brady at quarterback that doesn't matter as much whenever when they're winning super bowls year after year after year and everyone's buying in everything and you've got you know Devin mccourty and, and like all these team leaders or go back and teddy brewski all of these guys right now i mean i don't know what you made of it but when kendrick Bourne is talking about i don't even I if you saw the quotes because i think that you're going back from the the honeymoon but like when Kendrick Bourne is, is talking about the new offense and like sort of indirectly comparing it to what was happening last year when Mac Jones is even saying that, like, yeah, I talked to Bill O'Brien about the offense. I talked to Bill Belichick about the defense, the thing that he really knows about the thing that he really specializes in, like all these (laughs) like little comments that in the past would be seen as maybe innocuous, like, like Bill Belichick is still the guy who put Matt Patricia and Joe judge in charge of the offense And if guys are kind of making comments where like Mac Jones was saying that, yeah, now it feels normal with Bill O'Brien as the as the offensive coordinator, like maybe they're not digs at Bill Belichick, but they're kind of digs at people that Bill Belichick trusted to run his offense. And I'm not saying that that's like him losing the locker room or anything like that, but they are things that you have to consider when you are bringing in a guy like DeAndre Hopkins of like you mentioned, like, is this guy going to practice? How is... Tyquan Thornton going to be responding to, you know, well, the the top player or position isn't practicing. So why should I, or like, you know, I, I think that it all stems from leadership. And I, I certainly, am not going to say that Bill Belichick is losing locker room by any point, by any means, but it feels different. There are different things going on right now. And I don't know, the, these comments do need to be, you need to read into them a little bit more.
0: You're absolutely right. And things are different. 25 and 26. Last three right. years, not yeah. not a single signature win. And if you want to make the case for one, you could either go to a windstorm win at Buffalo on Monday night in a game that right. you cannot possibly replicate those the, that game environment and circumstances, or another rainstorm at home against the Ravens in 2020 in the miserable COVID season. Right. That's it. This is the team yep. that is, is underachieved, and so Belichick needs to nurture and rebuild part of that culture. This is not some sort of nebulous idea that yeah you hear a lot of coaches talk about. We're going to rebuild the culture and build it back up, and all these different things. Culture is day-to-day activity and attitude and routine and habits. And the habits yep. were poor there. And you're either coaching those things or you're letting them happen. As I said, after Joe Judge hedges infraction with those special teams meetings that cost them OTAs, it falls right. back on Belichick. and We've listened to too many Mac Jones press conferences at this point, given his relationship and what it was with Bill Belichick last year, not to take those comments as a little side swipe. So you're absolutely right. right. And those that's the material impact of culture in a guy who you need to bring in but you need to get that buy-in because if they do, and you're you're pretty much buying low on DeAndre Hopkins as much mm-hmm. as the numbers haven't cratered in the way or a guy who missed a season due to injury that you would traditionally buy low on a player, but the market has told him, you're worth less than what you think. Mm-hmm. If that sinks in for him, he'll fall right in line with the rest of the offense, which I look at and see. The theme of this year for them is just prove it. Mac right. Jones, prove you're a franchise quarterback, more of a Dak Prescott who had a bad year two, bounce back to year three. Can, can lead a team to the playoffs after a stellar rookie season. Prove it, Bill O'Brien, that you're ready to be a head coach again. Guys mm-hmm. in contract years, Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, um, Kendrick Bourne, all of these different players prove that you're better than last year. DeAndre Hopkins, prove you're still a number one. Okay, let's wrap with this. What do we guess? We're not reporting. We are not predicting. We are guessing here on a podcast that happens by the time Hopkins leaves, presumably on Thursday.
1: I, I mean – I don't know when the last time the Patriots brought in a high profile fr- free agent, like on a visit and didn't sign him. So I lean towards them signing him. I lean towards something getting done. It's kind of good timing now with mini camp over too. Cause Deandre Hopkins wouldn't have to participate in mini camp. You kind of know where he is, no pressure on him over the next five weeks to figure out where he's going to wind up. I-, I mean, I know that the Patriots have a serious interest. They wouldn't have been bringing him in otherwise. Uh, but I have to- been told that that's, you know, very serious. They don't necessarily view him as like a top five wide receiver at this point, but they certainly think he's still a good player. They think that he can certainly help the offense. And this is my opinion that he would be the best pass catcher on the team. So yes, I, I think, I think they get it done. And I actually do like your idea of, yeah, sign him to a two year deal, make the APY look really high. That solves the issues of him being not being the highest paid player on the offense or whatever it is. But then also have a very clear out after year one that you're not going to pay him for that year two. It's going to void, or it's going to be either going to release him, whatever it's going to be. So, yeah, I would, I don't know what that figure is, but I think that for this year, the actual money, I'm guessing would be around nine or $10 million.
0: That's really interesting because uh well first can i get you a a a percent for the people it sounds more likely than not can we get like a 50.1 percent of 51 percent again no one's holding you to this and i'm speaking for every listener because someone somehow i will hold them accountable but
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i I always i mean sometimes i will do like the 51 percent, but i feel like that's kind of a cop out in this situation i don't know i i i'm certainly there's there's certainly a a possibility that i'm gonna be wrong because deandre hot like you need you know Both parties have to agree to it. The Patriots can't just decide to sign a guy without him agreeing to it. And I don't really know where DeAndre Hopkins lands on all of this, but I don't know. I put like 55, 60%. Uh, That's, I guess, where I would go. Um, Just because I do think it's going to happen. So, and I don't want to do the 51%. So that's where I'll go. What do (laughs) you think? What's yours? Uh,
0: I'm about... 30 to 40 percent I think again okay. com- complete guess gut feeling you know yeah. we talk to different people but it's hard to get a sense of what hard line stance if any Jandre Hopkins is going to take when it comes right. to the guaranteed money his role and then what is the Patriots pitch because the intensity of their pitch I think has to be much higher than it would have been three four years ago yeah. Tom Brady's here look at the rings the trophies do you want one or not that was the pitch it spoke for itself now I think you need to massage the messaging a little right. bit more and play to him Is Belichick up for that? Is Bill O'Brien up for that? Are they willing to tweak a system that you just very recently and freshly installed with, you know, most of the rest of your offense to accommodate what would absolutely be the best pass catcher on the roster? I don't know the answers to those questions. What I do know is that DeAndre Hopkins wants a lot of money and he should, he's an extremely valuable football player in the back end of his prime who would help out a team a whole lot. Um, so yeah, I would say thirty to forty percent. Part of this is I also think he'll leave Thursday without a deal done. Like I think right. he would have to be blown away by the pitch or the money, which I have a hard time seeing the Patriots, um, you know, offering you know the Odell Beckham deal or anything anything similar to that mm-hmm. in terms of guarantees. But it also behooves him to leave, right? Like if he's making this free agent tour, the more right. offers you get, the more teams that you see, that's more interest. And there are no more practices to go to until late July with training camp. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe sign in a week or two, get the playbook, and then kind of hang out. But right. I would guess closer to July, maybe a throwing session with Mac Jones, if it does happen. And I think ultimately, with the other teams that will probably offer more money, that's why I'm more in the thirty to forty percent range. But that's higher than I've been the entire offseason. The last thing I'll say is this: as uh, we went way longer on this than I expected, we're going to get to <laughs> minicamp. I promise. Yes. Uh, though I think people might just this is important. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is important. This is this is bigger than anything in minicamp. Right. The nine to ten million dollars you just threw out is really interesting to me because Nelson Aguilar, I think, still is the bar in terms of All right. APY for receivers. Yeah. Two years, twenty-two million dollars, sixteen million dollars guaranteed. That was two right. years ago for Nelson yeah. Aguilar. Okay, Juju Smith-Schuster got three years, twenty-two and a half million dollars, sixteen guaranteed. It seems like that's the soft ceiling. I think they would go above that a little bit, but mm-hmm. not fifteen guaranteed not for one year apy though 12 13 i think that's more in their sweet spot but that's where there's going to be a little chicken that's where the negotiation comes in of we'll do a little less than tennessee right but you want to come here more than you want to go play for the titans and go four and 13
1: so yeah and i mean i you could even structure it not to well this is my last point as we do get into <laughs> minicamp but like you could even structure it where you can guarantee um. $14, 15000000 million, whatever it is. But like some of that hits next year's cap. You know what I mean? Like yep. it doesn't all have to be on this year's cap. So like, you're, I don't know. I, I think there were creative ways that they could structure it.
0: Yeah, the, the money matters in the sense of the influence it's going to carry in the locker yeah. room, the confidence you have in the player that he's going to fit. It's not a matter of Robert Kraft's pocketbooks. It's not a matter of cap space. And this is someone who has said many, many times the cap is not crap. They right. can get creative. They can make this work. But you want to be careful about the message you're sending to him and the message you're sending in the locker room, and that is what's weighing heaviest on their minds. Okay, minicamp. Uh, Two days, no concerns about the Patriots canceling the third day. They do this very frequently. Even when they lose two OTA practices, it's a sign of mission accomplished to Bill Belichick. Good, hard work, productive series, all the way dating back to their initial workouts. We're going to go offense, defense, and then rookies, uh, and winners and losers, and get to the mailbag. So the offense. I wrote Bill O'Brien's base stuff with something to watch. For us, what are the things they keep going? back to? That's going to show us what this offense is about. It's difficult to say because Juju Smith Schuster was out, Tiger Thornton was out, there was no Trent Brown. So, what we saw was 12 personnel, two tight end Mm -hmm. package, virtually every single snap that Mac Jones was out there Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, of course, followed by Devontae Parker um, and Kendrick Bourne with Reminder Mm -hmm. Stevenson. I don't believe this is going to be a 12 personnel offense. I could be wrong. The question is going to be do you like Mike Kosicki in the field more than a Kendrick Bourne or Mm Devontae Parker as your third? Receiver, maybe Taekwon Thornton. They don't know the answer to that question yet. Aside from that and the personnel, what did you see from the structure, the play design, the organization, the time, and the cohesion that stood out?
1: I mean, it, it looked a lot more structurally sound than it did uh, last year at this time. Um, I think that you know Mac Jones looked good in the offense, but I also thought that Mac Jones looked good last year around many mini- camp and OTAs too. So I like I hesitate to say too much about his performance. But I do think that he's in a much better system, obviously now with Bill O'Brien. The personnel grouping thing is interesting to me because I thought Mike Kaiki looked really good in practices. um and like if you don't bring in DeAndre Hopkins, I probably would put Mike Kaki above like the Hendrick Bourne or Taekwon, or like, yeah, Hendrick Bourne or Taekwon Thornton type players in the offense. like, I think that I don't think he's going to be playing hundred percent of snaps. I think that he's a guy that you have on the field, like 50 to 60% of the time. But I, I do. I, I do think that there's a spot for him in this offense and that like, he's going to be playing a lot this season. Um, as far as what the offense was doing, it looks like there's going to be some creativity. Like you, you already saw them working on, you know, some motion, um, some kind of like a couple pop passes. Uh, they were using a couple of different players, in those types of roles. How many um, screens
0: do you think we saw? And I don't mean to give the folks I, I need we need an acronym for this because it's not PTSD, uh traumatic, right. but like PSSD, like post-22 season stress disorder. But but these the screens I'm alluding to are very creative, a lot of different right. fakes directions. But like yeah. that was almost all Monday, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, you saw a lot of screens. Um Obviously, since this is mini camp, we didn't get a good sense of like what the running game is gonna look like really. They did basically they did very little running, especially in the team drills. Um, but no, I, I think that it's it's probably not going to be the, the most creative offense in the NFL. It's not gonna be like um, but I, I do think that I, I don't know, I just go back to like what players were saying. It seems like everyone's just buying in so fully on Bill O'Brien, like Mac Jones, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, you know, Mike Kosicki, Hunter Henry, like all these guys are just raving about Bill O'Brien and this offense that I don't know. I, I've I've got some pretty high hopes for it. I know that it didn't always look the best during mini camp, but it certainly looked so much better than it did last year.
0: Right. Which is, which is what you want to see. I mean, right. just some sort of level of competency and organization. I think there will be uh, a honeymoon period probably afforded by media and fans, right? The first couple of weeks of training camp yeah. but last year was such an utter and complete disaster. And I'm looking going I've only been covering the team then going on my fifth season, now six. This is the worst practice I've ever seen. This is alarming. This is a problem. We won't see that, which will look and feel like progress. But come the second preseason game, maybe third, I think that's when you need to show us a little bit more. But the trouble with this is they're going to slowly find out what they can and can't get away with during joint practices with the Packers. Um, And then I'm missing one session. Is it the Texans or – they have one more at the end that now. To so uh, the Titans, right? Yes. Yes. The yeah. Titans. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with their offensive line where the other big takeaway. Yeah. Was Trent Brown not being there on Monday. Mark Daniels reported that his flight got canceled due to right. a, a hailstorm in the Dallas Fort worth area. And so he showed up Tuesday. Warms up positional drills. And they say, take a hike. He went down a lower right. conditioning field, right. whether this was the team being mad at him for not making a mandatory practice He's on condition. He's not fully healthy. We don't know. But he was there. And in his place at left tackle was Calvin Anderson. Okay. Right. Ideally a swing tackle. Right tackle was Connor McDermott. Signed yeah. off the Jets practice squad last November. And then the backups were Riley Reef at left tackle and City Sow at right tackle, a position he has not played, a fourth-round rookie since 2018. This is the state of the Patriots. Tackle depth. And if you can't protect, there goes your downfield right. passing game. You might be able to get things off of play action, which I think they will try. And we saw some of that, and it's going to look like the actual runs that they call and execute. Mm-hmm. But the tackle depth is something that's already worth monitoring, yeah. even at a time before they put the pads on and you see a real-life pass rush in running drills.
1: Yeah, I don't know how they really allowed it to get to this point. I mean, like, the Riley Reef thing was interesting because he was in that starting spot during OTAs. I'm not sure what happened between OTAs and minicamp that, kind of thrust him into that backup role, but not ideal to see. And no, I mean, I, you don't want Calvin Anderson to be your starter. You certainly don't want Connor McDermott to be a starter. I would love um,
0: Calvin Anderson to handle a Rubik's cube constantly in front of me. Cause that dude does it <laughs> with behind his back. And it's, I guess you don't need your eyes closed when something's behind your back, but I think true. he's done it before. And he's, he's amazing in certain senses, but you're right. Swing tackle is, is the goal here. I think with Calvin Anderson.
1: Yeah. And like, and McDermott, you totally fine as your fourth tackle, but like you still do need those starters in there. So, I don't know. I mean, I actually Trent Brown was probably like one of the losers of training camp just because he showed up late, didn't really do anything. But like, I mean, he can just go to the Patriots and be like, "What are you guys going to do? Start Calvin Anderson and Connor McDermott? Like, I have yes. to be out there. I'm I'm one of your best tackles, so you're stuck with me unless you make a trade or unless you make a signing. There are still some veteran tackles out there, so I know we'll get into this maybe a little bit later. But like, there are other options that the Patriots could take here, but. I think the fact that they did what they did early in free agency didn't show any interest in doing anything in the draft or, or later on that they clearly believed that this was the solution to tackle. Now, maybe given what we were seeing from Riley Reef being more of a backup in there, maybe they could have some second thoughts at this point.
0: Yeah. And I... I want to move on to quarterbacks then we'll close and go to defense but one more name I'll throw out for the offensive line and, and Mike on one who did not start so he'll be back in there that's uh-huh. a guy who could theoretically play right tackle if you need it though they really want to keep him at guard Jake Andrews their first pick on day three out of yeah. Troy got some starting reps at center for half of a period in 11 on 11s yesterday meaning Tuesday and at right guard mm-hmm. and I'm not saying he's Supplanting David Andrews and moving into right guard, but it shows you a level of trust there with him, whatever he's shown in OTAs in classrooms or rookie minicamp to say we'll give him a shot. And I would expect that to continue here moving forward. What does it ultimately mean? Probably not more than he's going to be the backup center, which you would expect anyway, uh, given the the draft pick they invested in him and the the need there, but it's someone that they they clearly have a little bit of belief in uh already. Quickly hey, can I jump of-
1: in there just really, really yeah, quick yeah, yeah. on that? I actually took it another way because. Oh, so early on in OTAs, it was Bill Murray in that right guard spot, mm-hmm. and then after that, it was Antonio Maffi in that spot, and then he started wearing a red non-contact jersey, so he kind of got taken out a little bit. So to me, it was almost like Jake Andrews was like the third option to mm-hmm. to be plugging in there at right guard, rather than because I was a little bit surprised. It's like well, he was drafted higher than Antonio Maffi. he wasn't a defensive tackle convert like Bill Murray was, so I, I mean, I. I would also say about Jake Andrews, maybe they do have faith in him. Maybe the the fact that he was there at the end is a sign of trust in him. He just looks so small, even compared to David Andrews, who's like an undersized center at right guard, like, He's like six two, six, three, three hundred pounds. I know that Cole Strange was undersized last year by a weight perspective, but at least he's like six five, this towering guard. Like Jake Andrews just looks really small playing in Michael Wenu's spot. He's probably like what 50 pounds lighter than him or something. Yeah. So even if like one option was to move Michael Wenu to right tackle, then you're talking about okay, do we plug in Bill Murray? Do we plug in Moffe? Do we plug in Jake Andrews? There's not that like one okay, 100%, we've got a great guard to plug in there and we can move Owenu. I'm not sure if that's an option right now.
0: And Mafi would still be my bet to win that job as a guy right. who had changed positions in college. He just has the raw strength. You yeah. don't need him to move a ton, uh, play at a higher level of competition. I was down on the Jake Andrews pick, I think more than any pick maybe that they made aside mm-hmm. from Amir Speed, but then he get to the sixth round and who really cares. Right. So yes, it's, it's a good point. And, and Mafi did get first team reps at left and right guard, very sparingly, but over Monday right. and Tuesday. So yeah. everyone's kind of in the mix there. It's a good point. I think as far as um, security, job security, making the final cut in the roster, right. it would still probably go Andrews and City Sal, given how many snaps Sal is taking a tackle. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Mafi, he just, he's still developing, even though he's a highly experienced player, which you don't get a whole lot, forget that he's just strong as hell. Right. Um, all right, so now quickly, Mac. We both wrote this up. We had the the stats that were chartered, the competitive drills, not competitive drills, anything stand out to you about him. He looked fine. Okay. Like solid two days to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think my biggest takeaway is, was just throughout the spring that he just looked better than Bailey Zappi. Like I know that we, yeah. we came in being like, all right, there's going to be a quarterback competition and like Mac Jones isn't guaranteed the job. I know that Bailey Zappi even took a couple first team reps on Tuesday, but like, It just, it didn't, it didn't look particularly close to me. Like Bailey Zappi is still missing way more throws than Mac Jones is like he's hesitating more. He's not as quick in the pocket. He's not as quick to get rid of the ball. Like Mac Jones just clearly looked like the better quarterback to me.
0: Agreed. And honestly, you know, the number of words I've written, you've written, we've tweeted discussing all that. If you are looking, if you're talking about a quarterback controversy, you're looking for one. That, right. That's that's flatly it. And I we include the billy Zappi starting reps because those happened. Th- right. th- that's what it is. Our job is to report what we see, what we hear, what it means. But when you go through that period itself, yes, he was five for five, all check downs, all flat throws. Yeah. just right. like somebody help me. I need an adult kind of throws. And that's yeah. fine because he was playing behind the offensive line. We just detailed against what I think is going to be one of the most fun, if not one of the most dominant defenses in the entire league. Again, non-padded practices. More experienced, the system's already installed. All of the spring qualifiers, blah blah blah. I don't care. This this right. they are building the whole damn plane out of safeties. And the fifth one is the guy that we talked about more than any of the four veterans, of Marte Mapu. Who yeah. I'm, I think in the the caboose of the hype train that's rolling on. I, d- I don't want to miss the train as it rolls by, <laughs> but I'm certainly not going to be at the head because we did this with Cameron Graham last year. Um, but Mapu is coming along at linebacker and safety. Stamp of approval from Belichick in the draft process. As mm-hmm. I. Uh, reported he he just loved him and players yeah. are coming around to feel the same way so you have between him and Jalen Mills and Adrian Phillips and Jabril Peppers and Kyle Duggar this is so this is it's so different from the Patriots of even four or five years ago it is fast it's rangy there's a lot of playmaking all over the place am I missing anything here about this defense being just just a ton of fun right away from week
1: one I, I think it will be I like the idea of what they're doing at safety where like anyone can be in any different role. You've got like, I thought one thing that was really interesting was what Jabril Peppers was saying yesterday of like, yeah, like uh, any of us can be in any different place. And then he said like, and then you throw Marte in there and he could be at linebacker or safety. It was like, it, it made it feel like Marte Mapa was like this, like this super important part of the defense. It's going to allow them to be even more unpredictable to opposing offenses. So then I'll stop. And I will say that, like, (laughs) I'm someone who watched the Patriots pretty closely from 2008 or nine until 2011, uh, when the defense took a pretty significant downturn. Uh, They were trying to use Patrick Chung and Brandon McGowan and Brandon Merriweather and James Sanders in this split safety role. And everything went to hell. And yeah, they made the Super Bowl in 2011, but they also yeah. had like one of the worst defenses to ever make the Super Bowl. It was absolutely atrocious. And like, yeah, the other pieces then also weren't in place at that point where their linebackers were rough. Like everyone was getting old up front. So I think that structurally, this defense is built a lot better. And I think that they do have better, more talented safeties to fill in for Devin McCordy, to play, you know, too high, to have guys mixing around. At the same time, like, I just know how valuable having a good, dependable free safety is. And this idea of just like, yeah, I mean, we'll figure it out. Like, like Jabril Peppers was even saying, like, yeah, by training camp, we'll have a, a better idea of this and everything like that. I still don't see one particular player, unless it's Jonathan Jones, who has the speed and range of someone like Devin McCordy who could handle being back there by himself. I'm just a little bit hesitant because even like Jabril Peppers, he's one of those options. We heard him say yesterday, like, yeah, I played free safety as a rookie and it was like a huge learning curve, like wasn't very comfortable. Like he didn't sound like a guy who wants to be playing free safety 80% of the time or even 70% of the time. And I, I just, I don't know who that guy is because someone is going to have to be back there by themselves.
0: And the difficult part about this is we won't know as much as I I'm, I'm all in on how fun this defense will be. Yeah. I think even for a defense that scored what 70 touchdowns last year. And I don't think that's sustainable. Like I I'm not projecting them to be best right. in the league, but I think there's a lot of talent and as Matthew Judon put unicorns here that will make this yeah. a lot of fun. The trouble with replacing Devin McCourty is that you won't know until the bullets start flying in the regular season because right. so much of the work that he did, was in the unseen like literally off your tv screen he's so far back there and that he's discouraging quarterbacks from throwing deep he's throwing uh doubles or shades or brackets at certain receivers that force him to go the other way and when you look at all the safeties that i just mentioned you're right none of them fit the typical free safety profile but what the patriots are banking on is that we can get away with 20% 20% from Kyle Duggar back there, 15% right. from, you know, Jabril Peppers, maybe another 15 from Adrian Phillips, yeah. 10 from Jonathan Jones, Jalen Mills, and name a player to figure out the rest. They might be right, but when you miss from that position, it is trouble. That oh, we yeah. saw with Kyle Duggar. Third preseason game last year, blah, 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 preseason. He came up, took a bad angle, house call. The touchdown they allowed, similar situation in Miami, the season opener, yeah. gone, touchdown. So McCordy was so good, at the making those angles and those reads and those pre-snap calls. There's a lot of experience here. But when Jabril Peppers is talking about, I need to be more patient back there, that's a little bit of a red flag. Now, if they do play more too high, which we've seen the entire league really pivot towards the last couple of years, and yeah. you, you always want to be in the front end of these trends, never in the back end, which the Patriots would be. But if they can yeah. execute, Mazatov. Too high would alleviate some of those concerns. Then it comes up to the second level, where a lot of these guys are going to live anyway, alongside Juwan Bentley, who I think... And I've said this many times quietly had an outstanding season last yeah. year. He was the second Good. best defender um, on this defense. I, I don't want to believe at that point. The other thing and cr- giving me some sort of positivity towards this defense was the corner play. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Jack Jones is a winner for me when we do winners and losers in a right. second. Did he make the cut for you?
1: Uh, he was on the post I made. Yeah. Yeah. He was in there. Yeah,
0: Yeah. So he was outstanding. Am I counting on? A player some called Panda Jack because once upon a time he robbed a Panda Express to be reliable when he gets suspended at the end of last oh, season. No. Um, not exactly, but Christian Gonzalez yeah. looks the part, has fit in naturally. Again, we won't know until the bullets are flying. But between him, Jack Jones, and Jonathan Jones, and Jalen Mills break in case of emergency at corner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel much better about this corner group than I did maybe two months ago.
1: Oh, yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean. Christian Gonzalez looked the part out there. He wasn't really tested that often from what I saw, but just the fact that he can step in there right away and be a starting quarterback. I do think that's the best group. It would be, unless you move Jonathan Jones to free safety, which is something that I I would still back if that was, if they did want like one guy permanently back there. But I think that your best combination is Christian Gonzalez and Jack Jones outside, Jonathan Jones inside. And then like you mentioned, yeah, you got Jalen Mills, you got Marcus Jones, I still it's it's odd the Marcus Jones thing because in training camp last year there was times when he was like the top slot cornerback it was what Jonathan Jones and who else was outside Jalen Mills Mills was outside then Jalen Mills and Jonathan Jones outside and then Marcus Jones inside but then last season Marcus Jones like basically only ever played outside and then in some of the reps that we were watching this spring Marcus Jones is still outside and I don't know why they don't like him in the slot. He's 5'8", 175 pounds. So like, you don't necessarily want him outside. Maybe they don't trust his tackling ability yet from the slot uh, right now. But I mean, he he gets thrown in the mix as well. I think that, you know, that's relatively deep. It's deep enough at the cornerback position when you can throw in a guy like maybe Joshua Bledsoe in the slot. I know like Patriots fans don't like Miles Bryant, but I think that there's still some value that he could have in there as well. Um, I thought that he had a pretty decent spring. Um, just from from what I could see. And I think that he's another guy who could play a little bit of safety for the Patriots as well. So yeah, I, I like the depth they've got there at cornerback a lot more than like you mentioned you did two months ago.
0: That brings us to the front and this is not a front seven. It hasn't been a front seven for six or seven years. Okay. This is yeah. a base nickel defense. They play more dime than the rest of the league. Again, it'll be a lot of four safety, three safety and three corners. Mm-hmm. But up front, Matt Judon, yep. Christian Barmore, Devon Gotchow, Josh Uche, I'm ready for this team to take another step up from a pass rush when I think they set the Bill Belichick-era record for most sacks in the season last year. And, you know, we're going to talk about Lawrence Guy. There's a mailbag question. He did not report. Minicamp wants a little bit more money, it seems. I still think this team will be led by the pass rush because while I do have confidence in Christian Gonzalez and I do not think anything that he said to the media is any way an indication of any sort of mental weakness or lack of dog in him because who cares what a 20-year-old says in his first big media scrum? He'll have time. Stefan Gilmore was a man of few words. Um, the pass rush still needs to come through because yeah. this is a talented group. They need to complement one each other, one another. They played a ton of zone down the stretch of last season. They might feel more confident about playing man, but inevitably you're going to want to lean into some more cover two game plans like they played almost entirely against Cincinnati. Is there anything there that encouraged you, discouraged you? It felt like a quiet week or quiet two days. It was not a whole week, not even a half a week for Josh Uche. Judon mm-hmm. had a sack on Tuesday, Barmore had a batted pass. Beyond that, we didn't, we didn't see Keon White also got hurt.
1: Right. Yeah. Keon White wasn't out there. I And Keon White looked pretty good during OTAs, I, I would good. mention. I think that he'll be a part of that, that group as well. No, but I mean, I also just have, I have so much trouble, you know, putting any value in defensive line or offensive line play during these sessions, just because like it is unpadded there's only so much that offensive linemen or defensive linemen are allowed to do against one another. So I don't know. I, my, my number one takeaway about just the edge and the, the front in general. And this is one that's been lingering for years. Like how much do you think Josh Uche actually weighs? Like does Josh Uche, <laughs> is, is Josh is Josh Uche 230 pounds. Like does, is he, is he in like the 220? Like, doesn't he just look so slim out there?
0: He, uh, I didn't get that feeling this time around, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I remember, I'm sure I talked about it with you. When he got drafted, his listed weight at the combine was like 20 pounds different from what the Patriots listed at right. him. I was like, I know he's been in the building three months. He has not eaten everything in the cafeteria, including the chairs and the tables during his time here. Cause that's right. the only way he would add that kind of weight in that amount of time. But ultimately I, I Dietrich wise is another name i hadn't mentioned which i think yeah. he
1: just keeps getting better
0: yeah it just keeps getting better yeah um but you're right there, there's not a ton take from here i would just think that the quiet day for josh uche because this is a setting in which a player like true him, yeah small athletic not power based though he did deepen his repertoire add a lot of tricks to his bag should thrive a little bit more when you're facing city yeah. sow and calvin anderson right. and riley reef and he didn't I'm not raising any red flags. I'm not even moving my arms as I do here in the video for the YouTube folks, <laughs> but it's just something I'm going to look at because normally I would say contract to your guy. He's improving yeah. coming off a career year. He really ate against the Colts and the Cardinals last year. Mm-hmm. You want to see more consistency in that starts. Yeah. Uh, in the summer, is there anything we got
1: back into coverage a couple times too out there? Which, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: And look, good, had that. <laughs> I think Mac Jones really should have been credited with that pass deflection because he just led Mike Gesicki straight into Josh Ujay's arms, and Josh Uteh, knowing he can't make contact in this mini camp, it's like backing away, going, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to," because Gesicki <laughs> hit him straight on and went right to the ground. um Are we missing
1: anything here um on defense? Yeah. I, I don't think so. Uh, I think okay. we'll get into some of it with the with the winners and losers too.
0: Yeah, and I would say, again, if you want more mini camp details, I have something close to 4,000 words at bostonherald.com. Doug has you completely covered from his Twitter feed and a-to-zsports.com. So you, yeah. there's, there's plenty more there we haven't discussed because uh, we already wrote about it. Uh, rookies, I was going to say, we already kind of hit yep. Christian Gonzalez. Keon White, we didn't see a whole lot of. Marte Mapu, I still want to see more from him there, the offensive lineman. I feel like we did rookie watch, even though it's next in the rundown. So let's just do winners and losers. Mine, uh, Jack Jones and Mike sicky big winners. I think it's pretty obvious. I think Mike Kosicki finished uh looks like caught nine of ten targets from Mac Jones.
1: Yeah, Mike Kosicki uh was great out there. I mean he was very heavily targeted. Um he just I was a little bit surprised because sometimes guys have a harder time, I guess, acclimating to the Patriots offense. It didn't appear to be an issue whatsoever for Mike Kosicki. I know they're not putting everything out there right now, but I was just very surprised at how quickly he was able to acclimate, how good he looked right away. Um, My two – I think I had like five or six winners in in the column I wrote today, but I – I agreed on Jack Jones and Mike Isicki. They were both included in mine. I'm going to put out there Marte Mapu. And my other one would be Bill O'Brien, just because hey. of the buy in from everyone. And just <laughs> like this was the most obvious job for him to take to, to kind of regain his reputation. But with Mapu, since we haven't really talked about him that much yet, I'm very curious to see where he winds up. We did see him taking like free safety snaps during OTAs, part of mini camp. I think that would be a mistake personally. Uh, if they put him back there at free safety and, and kind of in the same mold of like when Anthony Jennings was a rookie, the Patriots were trying to pigeonhole him into this role as a off ball linebacker. And it was just, it never made sense to me because he was so solid as a run defender, so solid off the edge at Alabama, like moving this guy who probably runs like a five one forty to off ball linebacker who can't run sideline to sideline. It just never never made sense to me. They experimented with it. They moved him off of it. And he's been a pretty effective edge defender since then. That's kind of how I feel about this Mapu at, at free safety thing. Like, yeah, he's got great size at 6'3", 216. Like he's, he's a very instinctual player, but he's a guy that you want coming downhill. Like one of his biggest strengths is just like the pop that he brings for his lack of size it is his instincts. It's playing the box. It's not necessarily his range or his coverage ability. Like he'll be a good coverage linebacker. I don't think he'll be a good coverage free safety. So hopefully for the Patriots sake, that's just them kind of experimenting, seeing where he can go. But all in all, like he was making plays in OTAs. He was making plays in minicamp. He had an interception during OTAs, had a pass breakup in OTAs, had another pass breakup in minicamp. Um, and it was just the way that everyone on the team was talking about him from Juwan Bentley to Jabril Peppers to Matthew Judon like like they were all just absolutely raving about him and I know that this is I think like other people have kind of compared him to some other Patriots greats in the past but like just talking to him this week and I don't want to glean too much off of talking to a player and he really didn't have that much to say but just like his mentality like his seriousness his smarts it all just reminded me a little bit of Dante Hightower and they're very different players like Marte Mapu is not 6'3 270 pounds or whatever the Dante Hightower was well Matt Judon said the
0: same thing you
1: know like I would not be surprised if two three two three years down the road like Marte Mapu is the team leader on this defense like is that go-to guy who's got that locker at the end of the locker room to make sure guys aren't leaving too early. Like, I think that that's the type of personality that he can bring to this team.
0: I'm glad we stopped on Mapu. Uh, I have less to add, obviously not being at OTAs, but hearing those quotes, reading the recaps that all of you had from those days and those practices was like, okay, this this seems real. The reasons I have caution are partly that distinction between linebacker and safety, which really in New England, because of how often they play in the box, gets blurred. Like, Mm -hmm. just call it Adrian Phillips spot or Patrick Chung spot from 17 and 18, where he's at the second level. That's where he fits in. My question is, how long can you hang in there when you're only 221 pounds, 225 pounds? And I remember asking Belichick after they drafted him, like, do you see a way to add weight onto his frame? And he got the, "Eh, we'll see so right. we will see because the other part that gives me pause is what is his path to playing time and i'm not saying yeah. he needs to play 50 percent of the snaps to make an impact you don't in this defense you can play a very specialized dime linebacker role maybe which was another weird small detail that they had a lot of bentley with mac wilson which was interesting the first team defense on tuesday running right. with the dime group anyway because if he's playing that you know adrian phillips kyle duggar pepper spot, even if they're rotating to play free safety occasionally, right? Is he going to play ahead of any of them? Is he going to play ahead of Jalen Mills? You're going to have an injury probably to that group at some point. Yeah. But I'm not sure where, as impressive as he's been, and I think partly, and I think it was Jabril Peppers was talking about this, he sees the plays conceptually, like he gets yeah. all the responsibilities and assignments, how the pieces fit. And that's probably how the Patriots just coach defense. That's impressive. It doesn't mean on third and seven, I'm taking him over at Jabril Peppers. Who seems right. to get it and have much improvement this season? So that that that's partly why I still want to see more of the Pats come on. I don't Definitely. think he'll disappoint though. Daniel Jeremiah called him his favorite player in the draft. As I've said, Belichick loved him, uh, and they 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 picked him. So he's here, and he's yep. he's off to a great start.
1: Absolutely. No, yeah, I don't have that much more to add. I, I think that I I don't know. It feels like there's a role for him, even if he just takes the snaps that Mac Wilson and on McMillan did last year, and then mm. also maybe you mix him in a little bit in that safety group like maybe take some snaps off adrian phillips whatever it is i don't know i one way or the other i i I don't know it's it's weird i just have a good feeling about him maybe it winds up being completely false but like it it just seemed to be like the martu Marte mapu like hype train basically all all spring
0: yeah uh one last thing in get who i mentioned is my second um winner here for this week he like josh Uche should have should have and did thrive in this kind of setting. Again, no pads. There's no running his blocking is it's, you can't really even file it under blocking for other tight ends. He is a big receiver that said a lot of flat routes drags. He got some screens. He's familiar with, you know, I don't think he ever played in the Bill O'Brien offense was recruited by Bill O'Brien to Penn right. state didn't play under him. Um, also now connecting with his old college quarterback. I covered both of them. Trace McSorley is now yeah. the third string. James Franklin was there really worlds colliding for like for 2018. Uh, Andrew Callahan coming from Penn state to the Patriots. I think it's a good start. I still want to see more. It'll be interesting to see how they use what's a, what's a very effective player, but Mike is very limited. He's, he's got a couple of notes that he plays. He plays them every time you go out to see him in the yeah. show or on stage. Uh, and then he gets off. So we'll see. Uh, losers for me, Kendrick Bourne, um, two targets on Tuesday, not a single catch. One of those targets resulted in an interception. He had five catches on Monday. Two were on screens. So you want to see a little more when you're dominating first team reps and then offensive tackle depth because it just is what it is right now without Trent Brown. And and that's not even a reflection totally on Riley Reef and Calvin Anderson and Connor McDermott. It's just yeah. the team letting that that happen.
1: Mine, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think – yeah born would have liked to have seen more of that especially with the wide receiver depth so limited um and yeah i mean the offensive tackle depth i had Trent brown as one of mine um but like i said like what are the patriots gonna do like they still have to put him out yeah. there um but I, I would put i would put tycoon thornton in there uh just because i don't know it's like He's a second-year player, and he's. This is already what the third injury that he's dealt with during his Patriots career. Like you have the clavicle soft injury. tissue as
0: well, which you know they do not take kindly to because they see it as a hydration issue in training.
1: Right, and like if they sign DeAndre Hopkins, like what's what's Tyquan Thornton's path for snaps at that point? You know, like it's if you if it's a twenty-one personnel, then it's gonna be Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, and Juju Smith-Schuster. If it's eleven personnel, then Thornton is still competing with. Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, all these other guys for snaps in there. So I don't know. This is a time when it would have been really valuable for him to kind of, you know, continue on the trajectory that he had in that first open OTAs practice when he looked really good, but then he just disappears. So that's not great. Other one. I like, I I wrote today. It felt like punching down. It probably was Riley Webb. He was on the roster last year. He's listed as a wide receiver. Um, maybe he's like a Matt, he's a future Matthew Slater where he's listed as a wide receiver and doesn't actually play it, but like he actually played wide receiver for the Ravens last year in preseason. They had him out there catching passes. He was probably catching about 50% of passes. Like I, I, in my recollection of watching a lot of OTAs, a lot of mini camp, a lot of training camp ever since, you know, 2012, 2013, whatever it was, I cannot recall a player dropping as many passes in individual drills as I did with Raleigh Webb. I'm sure, he's a nice guy. Like I said, maybe he's going to be a future all pro as a special teamer, but you would like to see a little bit better hands out of a guy who could even maybe serve as like an emergency wide receiver option.
0: Uh, I had him actually in my my duds category of Tuesday practice recap and, and <laughs> pulled him out because it did feel like punching down. But you're yeah, you're you're in it. Look, grand scheme of things, minicamp OTAs do not matter if that comes from the right. players and the coaches. You want to put in good work, but Uh, The results in the field do not carry over to even July, let alone September and October. That said, the troubling part for me about Raleigh Webb, who, for folks who don't remember, the Patriots, uh, I believe signed off the Ravens practice squad last year, core special teamer um, when they lost Cody Davis. If Cody Davis comes back, here's their core special teams. Matthew Slater, Cody Davis, Brendan Schooler, Chris Ford, Demarcus Mitchell, and maybe Amir Speed. Right, Slater... Board, Schooler, and Mitchell, because Cody Davis was limited this week, were on all four coverage units or all four special teams units that we mm-hmm. saw on Monday and Tuesday in minicamp. Those are the core guys that are not going anywhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Where does Rally Webb fit in? And especially okay. in a league now where the kickoff has been devalued, yeah. do you have room for a guy like that? I would think most Patriots fans are listening, going, no, 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 please, God, no, 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 <laughs> Michael Scottkiff. Uh yes. and as you mentioned, when you can't catch the ball. Um, that's going to work against you. So yeah, right now I would have Raleigh Webb far far in the outside uh, looking in. Okie doke, on to the mailbag. Uh, let's lead it off with Cam. He wants to know, what are the chances the Patriots look to make a tackle trade before the season starts? I would say, look, 1,000% uh, right. actually strike a deal. It depends on how bad it gets in, in camp, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just teams don't want to trade tackles. Like I, I, I I would, I love the idea of it. Like, yeah, absolutely. Trade for a tackle. And yeah, like you said, I'm sure the Patriots will, will look, but I just like teams aren't going to want to trade tackles, especially not in, in training camp. Like last year tackle depth got so limited that like guys were being plucked off practice squads and everything like that. I could certainly foresee that happening again. I would, I think the more likely scenario is that maybe they they sign another veteran free agent that maybe if you know, we'll see what happens with Riley Reef. But like, I don't know if any of these guys are the best options, but like Taylor Lawn is still out there. Eric Fisher is still out there. Jason Peters is still out there. Like maybe you can't get 17 games out of some of these guys, but I don't know. Like if you're if you're desperate, then there are still guys who have started in the league out there as free agents.
0: Well, That answers Megan's question, who wanted to know if TJ Fluker was the only option available in the free agent market. So that is a veteran uh, expert move by you. Um, yeah, I, I would I would suggest the same thing. I think part of this too, as much as we talk about, oh, Riley Reef is on the second team now. What does that mean? Right. That happened. We report it. We look at it. They might have just said, okay, we're very confident in you playing yeah. right tackle. Let's give right. you the backup reps at left tackle yeah. because, given the guarantees in his contract, which were not exorbitant, um, he's making the team. They yeah. believe in Riley right. Reef and they believe in the, the culture he's going to help enforce in a way that Isaiah Wynn was actually detracting from for most of last season. <laughs> right. Um, in a very material way that th- yeah. those were media interactions that I cared about and thought said something and they, they did. Now yeah. Riley Reef had a sneaky good end of last season playing for the Chicago yep. Bears. I think that's replicable. I don't know. I'm not being him Riley Reef, but that's something we should mention here is that I think they believe in the guys they have. Yeah. It's not, it, it could very well be as bad as we expect it and see it, and I think that's likely, but the Patriots seem to to disagree. All right, mm-hmm. Fuad wants to know, what does this roster still need to be able to make a legit run to the playoffs and maybe more?
1: DeAndre Hopkins? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean,
0: Back to where we started. You're right, though. I agree. I mean,
1: right? Like, I don't know if he makes them a Super Bowl contender, but I think, like, er- even earlier in the offseason, like, there was some conversation of, like, what is this Patriots team? What are they aiming for? Like, how can they actually compete in the afc east and i think that signing deandre hopkins would probably be that next step at this point they had a solid if not unspectacular free agency uh period but i think that a player like hopkins like you you signed Juju smith schuster um you know you draft christian gonzalez and if you signed deandre hopkins those are some major needs that ultimately you're filling and then you throw on bill O'Brien and hope for Mac Jones improvement and everything like that, then yeah, you're at least competitive in the AFC East and maybe you are a playoff team at that point. Other than that, like, I don't think that there that guy would be out there other than a Hopkins who could actually like make a serious difference on this roster.
0: Right. You know, the, the, Available moves, the likely moves, the moves we're discussing. Right. It's Hopkins, and that's it. It's yeah. a totally separate conversation. If you want to fire up the theoretical NFL trade machine right. and look at tackles, which again, every team is looking for quality tackles, you are yeah. not giving them away. um So that that's a move that they could make, but is not worth any more time than we've already spent discussing. My the other Jonah Williams about thing this-
1: could be interesting at some point. Uh, th- that's one name I would throw out there. Jonah Williams for the for the Bengals. Yeah. Like I know that I don't know where that stands right now, but like theoretically, if someone would be available, like maybe he would, and then maybe that's a move they could make. But beyond that, no.
0: Right. My other point about this, because Hopkins is my answer and you could add another tackle and that's about it, is that the the ceiling for this team will be set by the players that are already on the roster. And specifically yeah. the players in years one through three. And I said this last year that the young players in the roster would take this team as far as they could go. And we could look back and go, well, Marcus Jones is an all-pro turner. Jack Jones had a pretty good run, you know, at corner. Cole Strange was a starter. Cole Strange got benched in a couple of games. Okay. Taekwon Thornton played more snaps than most receivers and really didn't do anything with them. No. You go back to 2021, Christian Barmore got hurt, didn't really make an impact. Mac Jones regressed, even if it wasn't his fault. Bonnie Perkins never played. Reminder Stevenson was great. Imagine, though, if Barmore had stayed healthy. Imagine right. if Taekwon Thornton had taken, you know, made an impact or Cole Strange had done so. Now take all of those and put it into 2023. Cole Strange, year two leave. Taekwon Thornton, year two leave. Your rookie's Christian Gonzalez starts. like That's where this season is either going to exceed expectations Mm -hmm. or bottom out again because of the development of those particular players. Not only because young players are important and they're cost-controlled and they provide good value, but whether it's a quarterback in Mac Jones, a corner in Christian Gonzalez, a pass rusher in um, Christian Barmore, these are Mm -hmm. premium positions the Patriots are counting on. So that's... If you want to make a legitimate run or surprise in the playoffs, it's going to be through those players more than even DeAndre Hopkins, I would argue, at this point in the
1: season. Yeah. No, I mean, Barmore's a huge one. Like, if Barmore can play up to his potential, then that'll be massive for the Patriots.
0: Yeah. All right, on to the coaching staff. Gary wants to know, um, the team took some, quote, unconventional steps this offseason to keep Gerard Mayo, then everyone, meaning probably Belichick, kind of downplayed it after he resigned with this being his first return to action. I think meaning practice. Yeah. Did you notice any differences with Gerard or any indications that his role has changed?
1: I didn't personally. I'm curious to see what you noticed.
0: I didn't at all. I I think he's he's more or less running the show aside from calling the plays on defense. I think his role has um, not gone unchanged. I think, he's being involved more as we saw with the the coaching search for offensive uh, coordinators right. and offensive uh, position coaches. He's had things open up to him in a way that maybe they weren't before with Belichick. And I think right. he has greater sway. And I think he's being paid a lot more um, because this is a guy that had outside interests that yeah. sometimes is, you know, teams needing to check the Rooney rule box, unfortunately. Uh, but the word is out on draw Mayo being an outstanding coach. So as far as what you can expect on game days or to hear from him, no, but I think he's in a much more secure place. Is being allowed into rooms where those doors were closed before, and is being paid a lot more. And, and it's kind of an understanding he's going to be Bill's successor, even if it's not said outright.
1: Would you make of Belichick was asked about the whole Gerard Mayo contract announcement thing? I think Belichick said like, ask someone else about the contract. Like, was that kind of a a shot at Robert Kraft? Like, what, that, that was a little odd, right?
0: It, it was, but I, I remember checking in on that right when it happened, and my understanding was Bill and Robert looked over it and, okay, and okayed yeah. it. And so right. whether it was Bill just saying, F it, I don't care, I'm going right. then that weekend to New Orleans, um, or it was something that he took more care of, I think he's – Gerard and Bill have an understanding that like what Bill says to the media just, just, is not reflective of anything right. that's going on behind closed doors. It just yeah. doesn't care. And Gerard doesn't care. Gerard yeah. cares about what's important, and that's uh, coaching – how much is being paid, right. and what what the future holds for him in New England. So i yeah. I, I don't make too much of it. What would I think that uh, Bill would have done that release on his own. No, of course not. Right. But I think I think Gerard's in a much better place, and that place, as far as it impacts the team's success and his contributions, isn't all that different.
1: Is it odd that they made the announcement that they were looking to sign into a long term deal, and then they never made an announcement that they did?
0: So weird. Everything was everything was weird about it. Okay. I, I remember being on the phone with someone who was like, "This is Robert Kraft," and they just started laughing. Like, yeah. what the hell is going on? Mind you, after a season in which that was the only question we asked all year—eighteen weeks, right. seventeen games—what the hell is going on? And then we got that announcement. Yeah, it was very strange.
1: Like, why? Why never make the announcement that it's complete? I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm getting a I'm, probably, I'm, probably because aside, but it was just very strange.
0: I think Robert Kraft had more involvement in those first couple of weeks in the season when right. Bills leverage or his place or his standing like he had to swallow a little bit more than he normally yeah right and then as robert gets his way and you go deeper into the off-season turnaround and making changes and bills a little bit more hands-on that's when we're going to do things my way if it got signed that's what matters screw the rest in the public but for the moment where the patriots needed to have kind of a a, an image rebound there in those next couple of weeks that's when robert stepped in because that image is so much more important to him obviously than it is bill
1: Right. No. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: all right, last one. Los Patriots. All of the Patriots, all of the Spanish Patriots Uh, oh, want right. to know, do you expect the Lawrence guy situation to be resolved or is it more likely that they just part ways with him? Also, who on the roster would fill his spot uh, or would it be a signing? Okay, so let's put these up. Do you expect yeah. it to be resolved or do you expect Lawrence guy to be wearing a different uniform come week one or two next season?
1: Uh, I don't think they're going to – I. I don't think the Patriots should do anything about this. Like I feel bad for Lawrence Guy in saying that, but like what's the market for a 33, 34 year old defensive tackle if they were to say, okay, we'll release you. Like, is he really gonna make more money? Like, I think he's he can make up to three and a half million dollars or something like that this year with uh per game roster bonuses and and his salary and everything like that. Like I don't I I I feel for Lawrence Guy. I think he's probably, you know, he's a very valuable player, but like an early down Older run stuffing defensive tackle. Like, look at the deals that, um, and Dominican Sue and who else was it? Uh, in Philly? Yeah. In Philly, was it, uh, who was it? Was it Dalvin Tomlinson also? Was he the other one?
0: No, the, um, I'm going to look this up because it's bothering me, but keep going.
1: But like, they did not sign big deals. And like, those are players who are around the same age as Lawrence Guy who can make a little bit more of an impact on passing down. So, like, I, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily going to be a great approach by Lawrence Guy. I think I would expect them to just be like, like, come to training camp or lose out on money. Like, I, I don't, I don't really think that there's much recourse that the Patriots need to take on this one. I, and I, I think I expect him to stick around, um, but he's just probably going to have to eat it. I, I think, unfortunately, for him.
0: Um, Linval Joseph.
1: Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, former viking maybe that's yes. where delvin thompson that was
1: where delvin thompson came. yeah
0: i am I'm, I'm with you i i was thinking about this too and, and reading mike reese's story because mike reported on this yeah. um I, I think there was a mention in there about either a desire to change agents or lawrence actually changed agents right. looking to affect some change but he doesn't really have any leverage here and it's, no. it sucks that he had a difficult uh, negotiation supposedly for the four-year deal he signed in 2021 and he's got no guarantees left and he's won a community award and was voted a team captain yeah this is this is part of being on the patriots is they play hardball with everyone there is no we'll do you a favor to the agent um which is something i wanted to mention actually with the hopkins visit to tennessee because it's part of this right like there are more people involved than just hopkins wanting to sign with the team but as far as lawrence guy is concerned yeah like it it sucks They, they i would think they release him maybe bring him back before he finds any sort of outside interest not only just a 33 year old guy but yeah not real impact player as a pass rusher entering no. his 12th season. His best football is definitely behind him. Um, and the market is just never that great for interior defensive tackles. And he, he does more than that. He'll kick yeah. out to the five techniques sometimes when they play rare snaps of base and all these different things. It's just, they, they replace him with Carl Davis um, who had an offsides penalty. That was his big moment at minicamp. but Carl has been effective in like 15, 20% of the snaps. I think they would sign someone else off the street because this is just a, a position that's, You know, there are only X amount of people walking the planet who are 320 or more pounds, but most of them like NFL football, I think. So I think the Patriots could find someone who that is. I mean, I I have been mocking players to the Patriots in the sixth or seventh round (laughs) at this position, at that weight forever, and they just won't pick anybody. And I'm like, they're right there. Then they get signed off the Packers practice squad or signed in Minnesota. I'm like, there's that guy. Go get him. They might actually do it now if Lawrence Guy, who I mentioned a couple episodes ago, as a surprise cut candidate because of his, his uh, contract and his right. age and all the things we just talked about, um, they would need to replace him though. And that, that is a difference. Even starting week one against Philadelphia in that run game, that they would feel his absence and someone we would need to step in. I just don't think you convinced the Patriots that that's a problem they need to solve right now.
1: No, I mean like Indomitian Sioux and Linval Joseph are still free agents. They signed for like $2.2 2 million last year. Um, I mean like Michael Brockers is a free agent. Akeem Hicks is a free agent. Like, those guys around that same age are free agents right now for a reason. And they're probably not going to sign for three and a half million dollars or whatever it is that a uh, Lawrence guy could wind up making. And I don't know. I mean, they've got pretty decent defensive line depth right now with a guy. If he comes back around Godshaw, Shaw Michael Bra- I know, uh Christian Barmore, Daniel Quale, Carl Davis. Like they've got a lot of, guys in there and yeah they probably would have to bring in one more guy to fill in for lawrence guy i was doing that unintentionally but there we go it works but yeah i don't know i i like you said like i was looking at him as being a potential cut candidate this Mm -hmm. spring and this winter i certainly was not expecting him to hold out for a new contract like that would have been that would have been like the last thing i would have expected
0: i um Almost made a joke about it when we finished doing attendance on Monday. Man, like, oh, can you can you <laughs> not believe Lawrence Guy is holding out for more money? And not right. because I, I think he's a player who doesn't deserve more. That's not no, he's saying. a good it player,
1: just, good guy. Yeah. In
0: speaking with him so often and how he puts the team first, and I'm right. every player should get their value. It just was surprising that of all the players, their personality, their impact, um, yeah. that he he would sit yeah. out mandatory minicam and go against the rules. But yeah. business is business. The Patriots are handling it exactly as such. Lawrence is going to do the same. Hopefully they can find a resolution, even if it's just a couple incentives added to his contract, Right. Uh, because they've been open to that in the past with different players. But uh, yeah, we will see if he is gone. I will very much miss the uh, little used nickname. I once gave him Larry, the tackle guy because it is just so <laughs> fitting uh, for our friend Lawrence. Okay. Worth- uh, this episode of the Pats interference podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. One last message from me um, because I know Doug won't do it on his own, but please, if you have time or any resources, Please donate to the GoFundMe ongoing for his two year old daughter, Hallie, who is battling leukemia. She is a fighter, she is a sweetheart. There are updates there about her care. Doug has been going back and forth from uh, his home south of Foxborough to Foxborough to the hospital all the way and back. Uh, It's unfortunate he can't listen to this episode because I thought this went great because you were on it. But if you have the time, please go read about Hallie, give some money to the cause. Her care is ongoing, it's so crucially important. And I've not met Hallie, but if she's anything like Olivia, your older daughter who is freaking awesome. Um, I know that she deserves the world from the hospital and the care from all of us. So if you have a chance, please check out the GoFundMe. It would mean a lot to me personally.
1: Appreciate that Andrew. And yeah, no, Hallie's, Hallie's doing well. She's a fighter. Like you said, just got an update from my wife that she's dancing around and having fun. So yeah, look forward to going back to the hospital tomorrow to see her.
0: We'd love to see it. All right. Well, I hope everyone listening has a good summer. We'll have a couple more episodes and then take a little break around the uh, 4th of july because I, i'm just a slacker i'll be honest i didn't go on a wedding or a honeymoon or anything like that i just needed to break from this podcast no we'll have uh bold predictions lots more fun i think the season is going to be a lot more entertaining and enjoyable even if the result eight nine nine eight is the same there's a lot to look forward to the patriots uh i don't know turning a corner it'll it'll be new wherever we head it should be a fun year definitely thanks doug thank you The Pats Interference Podcast is powered by FanDuel. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston.